This episode of the Braving Business Podcast is sponsored by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit, and I've been in the domestic and international logistics space for over 30 years. If you need any assistance with transportation or logistics, my team and I will jump at the chance to help. Whether it be parcel shipments, e-commerce, pallets and freight, full truckload, international air and ocean, imports, exports, warehousing and distribution, or really anything under the logistics umbrella, we got you covered. For more details, please go to shipwithpj.com. That's shipwithpj.com. Reach out to me there. Mention you found me on this podcast for a special surprise. And one last quick thing. If you enjoyed this episode, please stay on after the show to learn more about the Braving Business Podcast and other great episodes for you to discover. And now, let's get the show started. Well, hello there. Mr. Benoit, how are you, sir? Mr. Tall, I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. Yeah. How are you? Like like the shirt. Look Thank you. Actually, you. I was going to say I like yours. Uh, well, we both look kind of bulky today. I don't know. This is, you know, you look like, you know, look like you got a manly chest and nice broad shoulders. I like it. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, so You're welcome. Body that God gave. Brandon, Brandon, on the other hand, is not wearing a, a, a t-shirt. He's he's looking much more professional either yeah, one of us. Is. So, uh I don't, I don't know, uh, Brendan, whether, uh, you know, whether, whether we are too casual for you or what, but, uh, you know, we just I can grab rolling with it. Yeah. I was telling PJ earlier, I used to think that I had to be all put together, all polished the whole thing. And we were talking about cutting podcasts and stuff. And now I just like the real deal. So maybe, you know what, I'm going to go change into a t-shirt and show you my tattoos. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I don't have That's any. good. No, you don't have any <laughs> tattoos or no, any t-shirts. I don't have, no, I don't. Well, uh, I have a few t-shirts. Every t-shirt uh -huh. I've gotten, I think, has come from a conference. I don't think I've purchased a t-shirt in the last 25 years. Have you guys? Oh, my God. Uh, well, we have not. But given that you brought up a topic that is near and dear, uh, T PJ and I have been talking about, there have been so many t-shirt moments in, uh, in our podcasts over the course of the last uh, couple of months. Yeah. Uh, and we are uh, going to turn some of those, really, anytime you'd heard our podcast and heard either one of us say, that should be on a t-shirt. Well, guess what? It's going to be on a t-shirt. That's right. Uh, and we're going to be selling it out of our, out of our website, www.bravingbusiness.com. Uh, so we'll obviously be telling you about it uh, and, and giving people an opportunity to, uh, to, to get a shirt. And then, you know what, Brandon, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what the, this, this interview brings, but if you happen to say something that goes on a shirt, you get a free version of it. We get to keep all the royalties, but you get the yeah, shirt. Really, okay. Of course. So yep. excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, so long as we have that covered. Well, PJ, why don't we tell our uh, our audience who who our guest is today, and uh, and then let's go off to the races. Absolutely, absolutely. So we are very very happy to have Brandon Pipkin on today. Uh, for the last or for over twenty five years, Brandon has been focused on improving the lives of other people, which is extremely altruistic. He works with sales leaders and teams who can't afford to simply be average. He's the author of the book, 21 Questions for 21 Millionaires, How Ordinary People Create Extraordinary Success. And I'm really excited to hear more about those insights. He's also authored and guided dozens of training courses on leadership, sales, communications, recovery from emotional abuse, which is another very interesting topic we're going to delve into, and more. Brandon has an MBA in healthcare management, a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership, and according to himself, and I would imagine his wife and neighbors would also chime in on this. He has well below average skills in drumming. Uh, most importantly, <laughs> he is the father of five amazing people and spends his mornings following the dog and cleaning up after him. 
I know the pain all too well, my friend. Me too. Me too. Brandon, it is a pleasure to have you join us today on the Braving Business Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, I think that's why she's the ex-wife now. The below oh, the gosh. skills were below average as well as many other things. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. Broken, well, we broken, that's, yeah, for, that's for that's for the uh X-rated version. I think we're just gonna leave that alone. No. Um let, let's dive into uh improving the lives of others. Uh Brandon, you've, you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, well, what can I say? You you set me up. It was uh, it was yeah. a it was a softball across the middle of the plate, my friend. I'm going here, you're going there. Yes. Yeah. Well, what can I say? Quite the same. Um, you have an MBA in healthcare management, but uh, as I, I guess, arguably, you're helping people manage uh, their health organizationally on some level, I guess, individually. Uh, but you're in sales leadership and communication. I'd love to hear how you wound up doing the work you're doing. Yeah, uh, great question. And you've you've kind of hit on something. I'm an entrepreneur. I can't decide what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, there are way too many exciting, intriguing things uh, that I am interested to do and feel called to do. And so the way that I ended up in sales, sales management, and sales training, especially now, is I fell into it all. It's very circuitous. I served a two-year church mission in Germany and Switzerland, and as part of that, I got to train people, and I loved it. And when I came back home, I thought I would probably be a teacher or something like that. But I realized I wanted to have a family, and I wasn't sure I could support a family on a teacher's salary. And I actually had no idea that during this church mission, I was actually getting the best sales education of my life. Can you imagine I'm in a foreign country? I'm talking to people about something so near and dear to them, like religion, and I'm learning skills to get them opened up about that and talking about that and connecting with them about that. So came home, I needed a job. I I would imagine you also had a lot of doors shut in your face and a lot of no's. So you have to, that's that's another critical skill if you're in sales. Oh yeah, More than you can imagine. Exactly. Yeah. You spend two years doing that and maybe you get in uh, in Switzerland. I don't recall that we got into maybe more than a hundred doors in that two year time frame. Oof, wow. Not, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't know from personal experience, but I have seen the Book of Mormon. So there you go. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's my point of reference. <laughs> Somebody saw, I have something on my LinkedIn profile about the, the two year church mission I did. And uh, one of my clients was asking me about it. She said, what, what was that volunteer assignment you did? And I said, well, do you know the white shirts, the ties, like the Book of Mormon musical? She said, oh, I love that. I love that. I said, well, that was me. And she went, oh, I hate I, I that. Say, I love that. I hate too. it. A gr- <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite musicals. I actually was 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 uh, just talking about over the weekend because I, I want to take someone who hasn't seen it to see it because I think she's going to love yes, it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Also, anyway, sorry. Carry on. I apologize. So, I, I, yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, that's how my mind works, too. So I came back from that and needed a job. I... I had a friend who was leaving to go on his mission. He said, just take over my job. And it was driving a maintenance and janitorial supply truck for one of his friend's parents who owned a small business. Started driving the truck after a couple months, maybe it was a month, she came to me and she said, look, you're wasting my time driving this truck. And I thought, geez, I can't hold this job down. She's going to fire me. And what she said was, your skill set is better suited for sales. I had no idea what sales was. Again, I had this two-year experience, but I didn't know that I was selling. I had no clue She put me into sales. I stayed in sales, sales management for a long time until I was working for CompUSA. You guys remember CompUSA? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Here's where I'm supposed to say good things and not speak badly. It was a terribly run organization. It was horrendously run, (laughs) right? And everything about this job was killing me. I had a fantastic boss, but so many things about that job were killing me because the way that things were done. The only thing I really loved was training my team. 
So I prayed and I said, where do you need me? Because this really is is freaking killing me. And the answer was go into training. And so I, I had to slog through some terrible jobs in between that weren't all that fitting for the family and what we needed and different things. But I moved into training from there and then have been in training, sales training since that time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. A, a couple of things. A, um, Tal, I think we already have our t-shirt moment with the whole, um, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I, yeah. I think. Yeah. He said it better, but you're right. Yeah. That he did say it better. But that is, yeah. that is very, very good. Um, yeah. and B, I, I have all the respect in the world for anyone who does the missions. Cause I used to live in Hawaii at the top of a Valley and those yeah. poor guys would come to our door panting completely out of breath, just sweating. And I was did you at least give him some water. PJ? Yeah. Oh, I know you didn't totally. let him in the door, I was like, but did I was you give like, him some water? I was like, come on in, give me the spiel. Did you let him in? Oh yeah. yeah. Did you like, let him in? Yeah, yeah, I did. I was like, give me the spiel. I'm going to mm-hmm. give you some water. I don't Good care, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, you could do your, your, what you're supposed to do and, and not die on my driveway. So yeah. here you go. Well, so when I told you we got into maybe a hundred doors, I bet 20, at least of those were pity. They had pity on us. <laughs> so, but, but you're also, by the way, another skill that's not so bad in sales, you know, if somebody takes pity on you and takes a sales call, well, you know what, you're you in the door. There you go. When you're in the door, take advantage. It doesn't matter how you got in pity or not. Right. <laughs> you get it. You yeah. get it. Well, Tal's on it today. So your book, 21 questions for 21 millionaires. And I, and, and I know you, um, I realize you didn't reach out to me about this. So uh, clearly the cutoff is 21. Yeah, it wasn't 22 or 23. We get it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how There's ordinary people create extraordinary success. Yeah. Sounds incredibly intriguing. What prompted you to write this book? I love the premise. Um, yeah. What kind of, uh, were, were there any like tidbits that that you took away from it, uh, you know, in interviewing these millionaires? Yeah, uh, tons that I took away. So the impetus was I grew up in poor circumstances. Mom raised four of us alone, no help from dad. And I vowed I'm not going to be poor when I grow up. And and then life was a struggle. It, and so I got involved in this network marketing deal. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be so successful. It's going to take off. And in the midst of that, I just kept getting more frustrated and more in debt. But I came across this thought that changed my life. And it was, uh, gosh, I'm going to blink on the guy's name. He's a real estate trainer, Robert, somebody in Utah. And he said something about every one of us has a unique note that we play in the symphony of life. Hmm. And if we are not playing that note, the symphony is deficit of what it could be. And he tied it into passion. And so I had this idea strike me. I wanted to interview some millionaires to find out how they found their passion and parlayed that to be their success. And then I wanted to write a book on that to show others how to find their passion, bring their note to the symphony so that the world could be enriched by their unique gift, talent, and ability. So I started interviewing these millionaires. And by the way, there's a follow-on for billionaires. So I'll probably contact you both on that one. Mm, Sorry. Yeah, Yeah, that makes much more sense. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. So I started I was wondering why you hadn't contacted our speech, but now, now I get it. <laughs> it, it, makes, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I started interviewing these millionaires and on the third interview, I interviewed this guy named Matt Given. Um, and Matt was a client at CompUSA who had turned into a friend of mine. I asked him about his uh, business plan. I said, you had a business plan. I'm sure when you started your third business, he said, well, it was more of a sketch on a whiteboard. I asked him about his goals. He said, I've never really had a goal like this is what I want to accomplish. And if I get here, I've made it or something like that. And I I also asked him about his passion. He said, I don't know. I don't know what my passion is. I've never had that conversation with myself. 
And that was the third interview I did. And suddenly I realized it kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I realized, wait a minute, Matt didn't really have written down goals. We hear all the time. You've got to have goals. You've got to have clear goals that you're striving toward. He didn't know what his passion was. He didn't even have a business plan when he started his third business. And I started to dig into the real deal. And from then on, I just wanted to know the truth. How and why did these people do what they did? And it was quite intriguing because it does fly in the face of everything we've been told about success. Well, uh, give us give us an example. That I mean, it sounds yeah. super intriguing. Well, I, mean, I, I think he well, kind of did. I mean, you know, I, the interesting thing that he just shared, which I uh, find very credible, is that there was no master plan. There was no, you know, uh, there was no secret, you know, uh, yeah. uh, genius. Uh, Bingo. Opportunity, uh, sweat, and good fortune yeah. uh, almost always is is what makes success. And the pivot. Um, but but Brandon, yeah. since the question was posed to you by PJ, we would love to hear one or two other insights if you have any. Yeah. Or you could just repeat mine. That's fine. Hilarious the way that you said it, Tall. No master plan. Because the seventh person I interviewed, he said, I had no master plan. I was playing volleyball. And what he meant by that was he was PJ. You and I talked earlier about why people move to Colorado. He moved out here for a lifestyle choice. He was in New York. He was a banker, hated it. He saw a movie. I forget what it was. And it featured Colorado. And he said, oh, I need to move out there. So he comes out here and he starts playing volleyball at Wash Park, gets to know these guys. One of them is buying jewelry off the Indian reservations. And, and then I think he was reselling it just in a small circle of his. And Steve was playing volleyball with this guy. The guy asked him one time, do you want to come with me to the reservation and buy some jewelry? Steve did. He started loving it. He started a jewelry business based on that, became a multimillionaire as a result of that. So his statement was, I had no master plan. I was playing volleyball. Sean Kane, the 18th person I interviewed, he said, I fell into the profession that I'm in and it became my passion. One of them that I interviewed, she said, yep, a goal not written down is only a plan. I said, so you have written down goals? Oh, yeah. And you did on your way to a million dollars? Oh, no, but I do now. (laughs) (laughs) So therein is encapsulated this whole idea of the master plan, this whole idea. I love Covey and I love his stuff, but begin with the end in mind is not what these people did. Only three of them had written goals. You mentioned it, Tall. It's sweat. It's work. If I could bring any four-letter word back to the forefront of people's minds, it's work. It's probably going to be a dog lot of work, a lot more than you thought it would be. I think about my entrepreneurial journey and just how much I've had to slog. There has been so many things, so many obstacles. And that it was another lesson from these folks is that there's never any failure. It's just stuff that doesn't work. And so you try something else. Let me jump on that because, uh, you know, in in our pre-interview, you talked about that your entrepreneurial journey that was not linear. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to talk more about that, share some of those experiences and and how would you share, how would you say that that non-linear path helped um, shape your your outlook um, on on business and and frankly on life? Yeah, well, it's been frustrating as all get out and rewarding. In that I have had it's either seventeen or twenty one, I forget, seventeen or twenty one full time jobs. I've got broad experience or I can't keep a job. It's one of those two. So what would happen is I would be at a place for 18 months and then I would see cracks in the organizational culture that didn't sit well with me or some of them were downright uh, doing things in a dishonest manner. One of them, the one company I worked for had 
the Colorado Attorney General Office looking into it with a cease and desist order because of its unfair and unethical practices and things. And so I would only stay at these jobs for a limited time. What that did for me, though, is now I can walk into an organization, whether it be manufacturing, finance and insurance, toys, jewelry, payroll, whatever the the organization is, and I can pick up a little bit quickly of what they're doing, what their challenges are, because I've got that broad experience. And now it's enabled me to train in over 400 plus global organizations and gain a pretty quick understanding of where I can maybe add some value to them. So that jumping all every 18 months to three years and stuff, or sometimes after two weeks, used to frustrate me, especially frustrate my ex-wife. She's like, why can't you keep a job? I don't know. I'm just like, I, I get tired of them. They get tired of me. I don't know what's what the story is. But but again, that has really helped me now to connect with a wide variety of entrepreneurs and people from all kinds of different industries. PJ, it feels like there, there, there are a couple of uh, prior interviews that we've done that that's what Brandon shared uh, are, has relevance to. So I, the first is we interviewed Alan Cohn, uh, the uh, Peabody winning uh, journalist, and he spoke about a, uh, frankly, the, 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 the investigation of one of the Peabody, which was uh, uh, of, uh, I believe it was a Korsky helicopters Sikorsky, and the fact yep. that they put the lives of uh, American troops at risk with having uh, parts in the helicopter that were known to be defective. Oh and in the discussion we had, we spoke about bad actors and what is it inside organizations that leads good people or people oh. to not that not act, uh, you know, with high integrity. Uh, and and you talked about you know the fact that you've been in some organizations where the lack of ethics drove you to leave. And I actually in in the interview with Alan called on people listening to us or watching us on YouTube to take that action if they find themselves in a place where in order to keep a job, you have to put your morals and your values uh, in the in the backseat or ignore them altogether. Yeah. Before I go to the second, uh, you know, the, 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 the second half of that is I have one more guest that uh, which is uh, uh, Ken Bogard from No Honesty, K-N-O-W, No Honesty, uh, mm -hmm. who talks a lot about getting into an organization and the need to know uh, you know, the real situation, um, in order to be able to tell, um, frankly, tell an organization how to fix whatever's not working properly in it. But it, let's start with it, with, with the integrity question. Yeah. What is it that you believe causes people to be in organizations? Certainly you weren't the only one that was there and certainly probably were not the only one that saw that there were ethical issues. What yeah. is it that causes good people or people to not do the right thing in instances like that in your experience? Yeah. Uh, self-interest, money, mm -hmm. greed. Uh, the, plenty of studies show that when we are placed in a certain environment, we take on the characteristics of that environment. And my buddy, Michael Keene, the best boss I've ever had, amazing mentor in my life. Michael told me in 2003, person versus environment, environment always wins. And I tried to fight that thought. For these last 20 years, I kept thinking, well, people can rise above their environment. They can change the environment. But what he was talking about is within an organization, that culture will swallow you up. And so you either assimilate or you have to fight against it and rally enough people to your cause and change that environment. But most of the time what happens is the culture folds you in or swallows you up. And we as social animals or whatever it is within us, we want to be part of the group. We want to belong. 
And so without a strong financial or a strong mooring, a, a, a strong moral mooring, I think we go toward those financial gains and toward what feels good socially. And we justify it a little and a, and a little and a little, and then we don't even think we're doing it. Hmm. Interesting. Makes me think of uh, clicks in high school, right? People watch someone bully yeah. someone else and, you know, out of fear of maybe being uh, taken yep. taken out of the group, people look yep. the other way. And I guess maybe those are, the, those are the same people that grow up and look the other way, um, you know, when they're at the workplace. I I believe that um, it's, it's impossible. I mean, whatever your life goals are, um, if your path there is to put the lives of people at risk or do anything else that's unethical. Yeah. Uh, you ought to, you ought to take a good look at the mirror because at the end of the day, we have to live with ourselves. I've said this about one of my former uh, employers, heaven bless them. They've been very clear on their business model. Their business model is process and profit. They follow their process. They're in it for profit. What they don't really care about are the people. Yep. And, in some ways, I respect that because they're clear on their business model and the amount of good people that they've washed out. The, the Where their organization could be today, had they taken care of the good people that came through those doors throughout the years, is unbelievable. But they've placed that profit and the process and they've, they're stepping over dollars to get the dimes. And they think they're doing it all the right way because they're, they're protecting that self-interest. Yep. Yeah, I've been, uh, unfortunately, I've been in some calls with, uh, you know, when I was like a VP of certain corporations and whatnot, uh, where in one minute, you know, and it's all the, all of us heads and, and the, the CEO is saying, hey, we're going to have to, we're going to have to let some people go, right? We're going to have to mm-hmm. let these people go. PJ, you got to let these people go, whatever. Like, okay, right? Like, terrible, but okay. And then the next, the next sentence it's, Hey guys, too bad. You're not over at, at HQ. You should see the rims. I just got on my Maserati. And it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> right. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of bad actors out there. I mean, and that's not even a bad actor. That's just someone who just clearly doesn't care about the people that help him get where he wanted to be. It's just all about profit and, and the self-interest as you're going to. Um, I yeah. I forget who I just read about one of the CEOs who needed to make cuts and said, we're starting with the executive team. And if that doesn't go far enough, then we'll come to all of you. But I and the executives are all going to go to 25% of our salaries for the next year. Yeah. It's awesome. I got to say, I not, not, not to, uh, not to claim, um, you know, sainthood, but I did the same thing. I mean, at I control, we, you know, I, I, I had, uh, for, for reasons that I, I went into in my interview, um, had to take a substantial cut. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I also had to furlough people. The first person that took a cut and the biggest cut was me. Yeah. Um, and my leadership team took the next biggest cut. And to the extent we could, we spared as many rank and file as, as possible from furloughs for sure and pay cuts. Uh, and you know what? Um, I, I don't look at that as a badge of, of, courage or honor it's, it's just the right thing nice. and in general i've followed the, the the point of view that you do the right thing as consistently as you can as often as you can and you know what whether things work out for you at the end or not i, I can't predict that but right. you'll be able to look at yourself in a mirror and Bingo. that to me is a greater more important value 
then how many cars are parked in my garage? Bingo. The answer to that is two. PJ, um, let, let me let <laughs> me allow you to jump back in. Yeah, you were you were about to ask a question, I think. No, no, no. I was. I was. But yeah. Tal, good on you, right? You did the right thing. And um you just did the right thing. And that's and that's cool. Too too many people don't. So, you know, it's not I don't know if it's a badge of honor, but actually it kind of is. So take it, wear it, be proud of it, because you did the right thing. So there you have it. Um back to our our wonderful guest. So you, in the, in the pre-interview, you had also mentioned that, uh, you had some issues, uh, currently or, or in the recent past about, uh, moving a website or moving your website that kind of took you away from the actual business at hand. We all know website migrations can be tricky. Um, it's not something that we've actually kind of talked about in the podcast before. So it feels yeah. like, uh, this could be a good touch point for our listeners. What happened and what did it teach you about? you know, trying to expect the unexpected. Uh, yeah, this goes back to so many things have just been a slog and listen, I get it. It's entrepreneurship. It's not supposed to be easy, but is it really supposed to be this hard? Sometimes I ask myself, so I was moving a website and I, the, the website was not robust solopreneur. I've got a website that my buddy put up for me and I've got tons of blogs on it. I want to move it over to GoDaddy, I think it was, that I was moving it over to. And GoDaddy has this one-click, port your website over, we'll bring everything over, and it'll be really easy. Oh, that's what I need. Why? Because I'm a solopreneur. Because I've got to be developing the material, delivering the material, building the material, prospecting, selling, everything else. So I just need the tech to work, right? Just work. So I did the one-click. It didn't work. I remember writing a blog about all the steps and I won't bore you with them all. I can't even remember all of them because, you know, that's what happens with trauma. You block some of it out. And so I, I go through all these steps and GoDaddy is saying, no, it's the, the previous one. And the previous one is saying, we have nothing to do with it. It's all GoDaddy. And so I'm getting no help anywhere. So I just had to redo the whole thing. And I lost all the blogs that I had written. So all the SEO that could have been in there and could have been useful to me, I had to just, just scrap it and, and move forward without it. And in the process, of course, it takes time and effort to rebuild the website, time and effort to get content back in. Plus, it hurts my credibility because I don't have that history of content that I needed, et cetera. So what did I learn from it? That my path, for whatever reason, is probably going to be twice as hard as anybody else's, three times as hard, it seems. And, you know, without without being too self-effacing or pity martyr type feeling there, it just seems like it's going to be a harder path for me. And I'm going to have to slog through some different things. And so I can complain about it the entire time, or I can just put the rucksack on and instead of crying about it, run up the hill and let's get through it faster. <laughs> well, a couple of observations. One, I bet that there are a lot of people listening who also feel that they have to work twice as hard, three times as hard, and, and not have the same outcome. I think that is somewhat of the human condition, particularly yeah. entrepreneurs. The second thing I would say, and I'm going to put on my consultant hat here, of course, consulting is what I do uh, most, of, most of the time now. It highlights the importance of having a disaster recovery plan mm. when you do anything uh, right. that, that involves technology. Uh, technology is tricky and finicky, and if you don't think it through, uh, you will work two and three times as hard and get half yeah. the outcome um, that you would if you had taken the steps to to build a disaster recovery plan or consider it. So yeah. uh, I'm not 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 you know uh, trying to shame you. I'm just trying to share hopefully uh, yeah. uh, an insight with the audience that they could uh, that they could they could 
jump on and, and factor in if they are in a position to do something with their website or anything else uh, related to technology. Um, I, I want to pivot for a second, if we can. I, I you know, you, you you've also led training courses on recovery from emotional abuse, and yeah. uh, uh, I find that very interesting on a personal level, even on a professional level as well. For starters, I'd love to understand what what you felt qualified you uh, yeah. to to do that to 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 build and tr- teach these courses. Yeah, and then if you don't mind, I, you know, I think it'd be useful uh, potentially in our audience, with almost almost definitionally in our audience, there could be some people that are in there relationships are. that are uh, emotionally abusive. Could you yeah. point out one or two things that people could look for to help them maybe identify that they are in a situation like that, and maybe a tip or two about how to begin uh, the road to recovery. Yeah, th- this may sound cheesy and I don't mean it to be. I love you for asking that question. I genuinely do because people who are in these situations do not know where to get help. And you start Googling things like, why does my partner do this? Or is it normal in a relationship too? Or what is bringing this out in my partner? And you try to get this help and it's it's murky. And you don't know who to talk to personally, and you don't trust it because you don't know what their reaction will be. You also know that if your partner finds out, you're going to get in trouble. And so you have a really hard time finding good resources. So thank you for asking about it and what people can be aware of. So the first thing is this. If you feel like something is wrong in your relationship, and I don't mean, man, we're not as close as we used to be. Or, you know, I wanted to go to Chinese. She really wants to go to Italian. We always go to Italian. That's different than I feel like something really is wrong here. If you feel like something really is wrong, it probably is. If you wonder if you're being abused psychologically, emotionally, you probably are. So I created a a quiz to help people, a free quiz to help people recognize, am I being abused? It's at stopemotionalabuse.net. Just click on the questionnaire, check it out. And we'll put it in the show notes. So every every listener will be able to access it from there. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, So what qualified me to do this? Uh, Yeah. I had no idea that I was qualified to do this. I had an unbelievable counselor as I was going through my divorce. The lady was so gifted. She was a gift to humanity, Vicki Tillipot. She passed away in 2015, and it was probably in 2016, 2017, I had this idea. Get all the wisdom together that you learned from Vicki and put it together in an online course just to share with people, to bless them generally. Anybody can be a better person using these concepts that she taught me. Like for instance, keep your own sidewalk clean. Don't worry about somebody else. They're an adult. They get to choose their own behaviors. You don't control anybody. Keep your own sidewalk clean and different things like that. So I start getting this material together. And in the midst of it, like divine revelation, I had this idea. You have an entire abuse recovery course here. Really? So I started looking at the information and I realized All of the information here was about stop chasing approval of other people. Don't be codependent. Set boundaries. Now, the reason that somebody gets into an abusive situation is they're chasing approval. And the abuser looks like somebody who might give that approval. The abuser at first does give that approval. They love bomb. And there are terms for all this. And it's amazing if you're being abused, you start learning these terms and you're like, oh my gosh, that tip of that's exactly what's happening. So the abuser will love bomb the codependent person and tell them things like, I've never met anybody like you. 
you are the most fantastic person I've ever met. I feel so wonderful when I'm with you. Now, the person who is chasing approval because they didn't get it growing up, imagine what that does to them, how they feel around that. It's a drug. It's a hit. Then the abuser knows once they do enough of that, they've got this person on the hook. They start to degrade them, but they know this person will stay there because they want that hit that they'll give intermittently. So I get all this information together. And then people started coming into my life who were in abusive situations or recovering from them. And I started sharing the information with them and sure shooting. It was exactly what they needed to hear and it helped them navigate through it. So, um, and, and I actually started to wonder, I thought, am I looking at situations that aren't abuse situations because that's my lens and I'm, I'm looking at everything as a nail because I'm carrying a hammer. And again, as if through divine revelation, I had this thought, I told you to put this information together and now I'm sending people to you. So I continue Amazing. to connect with tons of people who are in or recovering from these situations. The information bears out. This is exactly what they need about why are we chasing approval? How can we stop chasing approval? How can we set boundaries so that this abusive situation is no longer appealing at all? Yeah, I, I'm I'm certainly not qualified to uh, offer any uh, you know any medical advice or or any scientific advice. I I will just share that uh, the 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 one area that I would maybe want to expound upon beyond what you said is that for some people there is this challenge of uh, they, they have concluded that their partner is not that calculating, and so they're they're yeah. seeing their partner. They see that their partner treats them abusively, but they don't believe. Nope. that this is calculated. And you know what? It may not be, but it's irrelevant, right? So if your partner is abusing abusing you in some way, be out of out of ignorance, out of uh, apathy, that doesn't make it uh, any better, right? So so in general, I you know, I, I would offer this advice from the cheap seats, which is if someone treats you below the lines of respect That's uh, right. and allows themselves to um, say and do things, that um, are just not things that uh, certainly someone that cares about you should do, and frankly, are things maybe no one should do. Um, ignore it at your own peril, and and I know that's easier said than done because a lot of times there may be uh, there may be children, there may be financial considerations, there may be a lot of time and effort invested, um, but we only you know YOLO um, you know comes to mind. And um, if you, as as you said, Brandon, I think it's a really, really good bit of advice. If you think you may be uh, in an abusive situation, you very likely are. Um, and I know that's not really the topic of this uh, podcast, but I thought it was important to go there because really the objective of this podcast ultimately is to help people live better lives. And, um, you know, you could be successful professionally. And I've known people like that that were highly successful and were in abusive relationships. Yeah. Um, so, so just because someone on uh, listening to this podcast is an entrepreneur, uh, and, and is, is capable of wonderful things in one area of their lives does not mean that they are immune, uh, from potentially being abused. I would also say that there may be people on, uh, that are uh, in the audience who know that they themselves, uh, act below the lines of respect. And maybe that's an opportunity for them to think about how to do better there. Uh, and I'll get off my soapbox, um, now and well, let, you let You've the conversation return. Yeah. Well, thank you. If I can I touch that. on just a few things there. Yeah, yeah. Please. Dignity is the baseline. If you do not have dignity, you're not in a relationship. 
Dignity is the baseline for any relationship. And so if there are rules put on you that the other person doesn't follow, if things just don't track, gaslighting is where the other person changes the story and, and you think you're going crazy because you can't remember things. This person tells you you remember things wrong. All of those things are not a relationship. That is an abusive situation for sure. And yeah. one of the toughest things, Tal, you just touched on it, is it is so difficult in those situations, number one, to recognize something really is goofy here beyond like the normal stuff. And then the second thing, which is the hardest is to accept what this really is. It is so hard to put that label on it and realize this is unhealthy. This is toxic. And also I'm going to throw in there um, that you shouldn't feel shame as well. Right. I've known, I've known a lot of uh, very emotionally intelligent, very, and plain intelligent people who have found themselves in abusive relationships. And a lot of times there's a lot of shame in that. And yep. it's, uh, it's just something that, uh, you know, they shouldn't feel, they shouldn't feel. I know. I know a doctor. I know somebody who's a very successful investment advisor. Uh, as you say, tall business owners been in abusive situations. Yep. Did the thing is, these narcissists are fantastic at picking their victim because the victim has empathetic qualities that play directly into this person's hand. Yep. It's because you possess qualities of being a good, decent human being that they actually go after you, combined with the desire to please somebody, and they can play on that. So, uh, yeah. I, 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 one, one last point I want to make is that um, it it doesn't necessarily mean they're evil or that they're always, uh, you know, behaving badly. Um, it's enough that someone behaves badly, uh, frankly, any of the time and acts below the line of respect any of the time. Uh, sure, we all are entitled to bad days. None of us are entitled to uh, treat someone that we love or frankly, anyone. I mean, even in the workplace, if we, if we want to take it there um, in a way that that de- degrades their humanity. Um, so I... I I think it's great that we had this, and I'm 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 grateful to you for uh, for sharing what you've shared. And um, obviously, I, we will include the link in our show notes, so that if there are any guests that are, I'm sorry, any any listeners or viewers that would like to take the quiz, uh, it'll be available to you in the show notes wherever you're listening to uh, this podcast uh, or on YouTube. It will be uh, it will be right in the right in the notes underneath the uh, recording. Yeah. So thanks for doing that. And and it's a very important subject, and I'm I'm glad we covered it. Um, well, we, we also have a little bit of time there's and Brandon's a very, <laughs> you're a very diverse guy. So we want to, we want to delve into a bunch of things with you. So, uh, one of the things we also want to touch upon is that you have a very, um, first of all, thank you for all the, uh, work you're doing on the abuse, um, segment. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, you also have a unique project on in the works, which is connecting 10 male and 10 female sales leaders for best practices uh, sharing those best practices and also one-on-one coaching with you. So what inspired yeah. this idea? How do you envision the impact on such collaborations? Um, and then if there is someone who is listening, who's like, you know what, I can, I can use that. How can they find out more? Yeah, thanks. I was built to be in a room with folks talking about meaningful material that they can apply to their business and to their life. So I I was built to be a facilitator in a classroom. It's where I thrive. It's where it's playtime for me. And my job in that room is to pull out the very best from the people who are there 
supplement it with really good information, best practices, so that they can go out and do what they do even better and change their lives in little, small, incremental ways over time that yield monumental differences. In addition to that, connecting one-on-one is a passion and really learning somebody's story, learning what makes them tick, what ticks them off, what they're struggling with. And I have not met a successful person who does not struggle with imposter syndrome. I have not met a successful person who has everything together and knows all the answers. In fact, the last interview uh, of the millionaires that I did, Richard Zuschlag, he's the chairman of the board of Acadian Ambulance, a five, it's probably at this point, $450 million, $500 million organization or something. He started it with three ambulances, sleeping on the floor, dispatching calls himself and the whole thing. And I asked him, about how he balanced family while he was building his business. He got emotional and he said, thank goodness I have such a saint of a wife who kept us together. And I have children who have forgiven me. He said, my son was playing in the state golf championship. And I sent one of my assistants to go watch him because I couldn't be there. And he said, thank goodness my children are so forgiving and we're rebuilding those relationships now. So I look at somebody like Richard Zuslag, who ultimately created a $450 million business, who at the time was missing some elements and wasn't quite where he wanted to be and in alignment with where he was living the life that at the time, had he had the perspective and the, the broadness of it, he may have seen things a little bit differently. And so that's where I come in. It's I love to help people see the things they're not seeing, especially help them see their gifts, talents, and abilities. Now, let me land the plane because I know I got really excited and passionate about those things. I just, I get so jazzed about what people bring to the table of life and how they can bless themselves and their own, their own life. And then the rest of us. So I'm looking for 10 men, 10 women, sales leaders, VPs of sales could be business owners because a lot of times business owners are, are selling who want to get together with like-minded people to share some of these challenges, to share best practices with one another, come and talk about this is what I'm dealing with so that they can help each other through it. And I'll come alongside and do one-on-one coaching as well. But I want to create this community where people really understand each other and really get it and can help each other through this so that we don't have those Richard Zuschlag moments where we look back and go, I really wish I had done that part differently. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of us who are entrepreneurs um, probably have those reflections. I do. Um, There were many moments in my children's lives. My children are all adults now, but uh, when my children were young, I missed many uh, activities and events. It's still actually difficult for me to talk about, even though uh, much like Richard's, uh, I've been incredibly blessed. My children have uh, been more than kind about it. Um, but I, I agree. I think it's a, it's a hugely valuable, um, thing to be helping people through, especially on the front side. Um, you know, a lot of times when you catch it on the backside, it's about managing your regret. And, uh, uh, ideally you're able to prevent, uh, versus then manage. Um, I, I I also want to jump on the thing you just said about, you know, we each have 
uh, I believe you called it a blessing uh, to share with others. And you actually gave us a personal quote, uh, which we which we will release uh, along with this podcast that I really loved. You talked about the need to step into your greatness and allow to, the world to experience uh, uh, all of your greatness as an individual. I'd love to know what your thought is around, you know, what is the first step that someone should take to uncover and then unleash whatever it is that is their unique gift and talent? Mm. The immediate thought I had will sound more self-serving than I mean it to be. Get around somebody like me who sees it. Get around somebody who sees you for who you really are. I had that gift with Steve Rockwood. I grew up without a father in the home. I moved from Utah to Colorado with my family when I was 11 years old. And I met Steve shortly thereafter. Steve is... 20 years my senior or something, 15, 20 years my senior. And uh, he was one of the leaders at church. And he was, I'll get emotional if I talk about this. Um, He was one of those guys who put his arm around me. And he saw something in me that is a 13, 14 year old, annoying young man that I would never have seen in myself. And I always knew that Steve cared about me. I always knew he was invested in me, that he loved me. And when I, uh, a couple of years after I got back from my mission, or maybe a year after I got back from my mission, he had started a company and he called me up one day. He had been keeping tabs on me and he, he called me up one day and he said, hey, it's time. I need you to come over and sell for me. And I don't even remember an interview process. He just trusted me. And I was still a lost ball in tall weeds in my early 20s. And he just turned me loose. He, right, PJ? I mean, I'd like, I made such a mess of some of the clients that we probably could have brought on. Oh, yeah. But but he just absolutely trusted me. And ultimately, it, it brought $3.8 million into the organization. So I think it kind of worked out. But um, yeah, he just saw me. No, I think that's great. That's, I mean, it's, it's really great. I, I I love that point, which is that, you know, um, we we all have a blind spot. It doesn't matter how talented we are. Um, it's really hard to see our talents. And we are all also, reality is the vast majority of people have experienced trauma in their lives, particularly yep. when they're children. Uh, you obviously did, uh, growing in a home without a father. Um, I, I had my share, as is PJ. Uh, and we've had other guests who have talked about trauma. And, and, and the reality is that that trauma creates a bit of a blind spot. Uh, and it takes other people uh, to help you see through them. I actually recently went through a process called Neurolease, N-E-U-R-O-L-E-A-S-E, which stands for Neurological Release. Yeah. Uh, it was it's a, it's a, it was invented by by a woman named Erin St. Till, who will actually be a guest of ours in a, in, a, in a few weeks. Uh, and I went through that process because I had some unresolved trauma, and it's a, it's a, it's it's about identifying uh, trauma uh, that that is in your body that you haven't processed. And in my case, it turned out I had never identified this, and I'm sharing something very personal here, uh, that I um, I believe that I uh, needed to be perfect to be loved. Yeah. And, um, you know, the roots of that are uh, deep and go back a long way. But the reality was, until I actually recognized that, acknowledged it, understood where it came from, uh, I couldn't release it. Yep. Um, and, and when I did, and it didn't take very long... Um, I immediately felt better and clearer. So I would say two things you could do is one, certainly look for people uh, who can see you better than maybe you can see yourself. 
And second, if you know you have unresolved issues, even if you don't quite understand what they are, but you see them, maybe they manifest as bursts of anger or or, or uh, other behaviors that you're not proud of, they're almost always rooted in some trauma that you haven't resolved. Uh, find a way to resolve that trauma and 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 lead a better life as opposed to trying to sweep it under the carpet or or manage uh, the trauma. Um, PJ, our last question, and we're we're out of time. And uh, uh, we usually ask a question that's uh, that's about advice, but I actually think we're going to finish a little bit more lightheartedly today. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, wanted to hear a little bit more about the fact that you tried out for the Colorado Avalanche in a polar bear costume and even had a fake fight on ice. Please, yeah, fake detail. fight. Hmm. Yeah, so I thought my path also would involve being an actor. That's before I moved to the teaching thought. I thought I had a career in acting and, uh, you know, with a face like this and as charming as I am, uh, I thought it would open up. I didn't realize at the time that I had a face for radio, okay? Yeah. I, I didn't, but I thought I I thought I had more. Actually, gifted. you're more handsome than PJ and myself, so yeah. certainly uh, not. And my mom told me I have a face for radio, so. I she told you that? You, you, you need therapy for that have you have you have you had that have you addressed that pj dude, that sounds very painful dude, there's there's so many things i need to address that ain't even funny we, we don't have a couple hours to mm. go on so gotcha <laughs> all right well join me that. join me yeah. in these 10 right. women and men pj and we'll yeah <laughs> uh we'll talk about those Absolutely. things yeah so um the colorado avalanche came to town i thought that i had a shot at becoming the mascot and even if I didn't think I had a, a real shot, I really did think I had a shot, but also I knew this would just be fun. Let's go do this. So one of my buddies who was also an actor, I said, let's go down, let's try out for this. And part of the gig was come in costume and have a skit prepared. So I go to this tryout. I'm ready, excited. I got my skit going on. And as I'm backstage putting my costume on, I chat up this other guy and he said, yeah, well, when I was at mascot school, I learned, it. I said, I'm stop what mascot school what are you talking about it's a real place i think it's in north carolina or something it's like what the heck is mascot school and then i learned that the former ihl the uh amateur league grizzly the denver grizzlies years ago was a hockey team here in town and their former mascot was also at this trial so now i'm up against as a 19 year old know nothing kid i'm up against these uh former mascots and guys who had been to mascot school and stuff and so i obviously wasn't chosen but they did have each one of us who tried out come to play broom ball on the ice during a game between the second and third period and they wanted us to be in costume as we did it so we're we're back in this locker room getting our stuff on and this guy looks over at me who's going to be on the other team he said hey do you want to have a fake fight while we're out there i said dude this is hockey <laughs> Of course I do. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so we're crazy. out there playing broom ball. I thought my team had just scored, and my buddy was the guy playing goalie for the opposite team. So I thought we had just scored on my buddy. So I'm raising my hands in celebration, and I got cross-checked from behind right into the goalpost. Oh. Mm. When you hear the puck ring off of that steel, that's because that steel is solid, right? And so I, he hit me right into it, and I was a little dazed. And then he threw me up against the boards, this guy that wanted to have the fake fight. And then that doesn't he starts, sound fake at all. I know. It doesn't, right? All right. Then he starts punching the boards next to me, 
And I kind of come out of my days and I realized, oh, this is the dude who wants to have the fake fight. So I start acting like he's punching me, the whole thing. So we get done. We take our costumes off. We go back. We're starting to watch the third period. And I heard this lady in front of me say to her friend, oh, I hope that polar bear wasn't hurt in that fight. <laughs> that was me. I was the polar bear. I leaned forward and I said, I think he's fine. And I went back to watching the game. That's Aww. fantastic. And, and, and as I was hearing you talk about that fake fight, PJ, I was thinking about, uh, you know, Rich Hopkins, who uh, was a recent guest. Um, not sure whether his episode run before or after yours, but uh, Rich is a, uh, a stunt. Uh, 35 years has been a, uh, a Hollywood and uh, uh, Hollywood stunt man and, and lead yeah. stunts. And, uh, and I wonder how he would have rated your fake fight and whether he would have done a better job. Oh. I, I'm imagining that he would have kept you safe and your face would not have hit the goalpost. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's just me making. Yeah, exactly. I would have been I would have been uh, turning that into a real fight because if some guy exactly hits me I mean once my head hits the goalpost yeah. I, I think all bets are off gloves are coming off and I mean literally yeah um, <laughs> and, and you know and you know what's funny about that that's me saying that a guy who has never in his life had a fight <laughs> the only time I've ever had a fight is some guy walked up to me when I was like ten years old and he wanted my soccer ball and I said no and he just decked me in the face and I, I remember actually seeing stars like in the cartoons you know. Really? Um, and that was the only fight. If you can even call it a fight, I don't think you can. I think I was just, yeah. <laughs> I just, I was the guy that took the punch. Um, so yeah, I don't know that that is actually how I would react. I'd probably just cry, but you know, I'd like the story to be that I probably would take my gloves off and, and wail. So I don't I'd know. Like there you the go. Story to be. I like that. that uh, that's right. I was a bouncer and well, a bartender for years. So were you, did you have, so did you have, you must've had fights then, right? Yeah. Except I was at a bar that was more like cheers. So I was kind of more like the uh -huh. official greeter, but it was fun. It was still fun. Gotcha. <laughs> well, friends, our, our guest today was Brandon Pipkin. He is an incredible guy. This has been one of my favorite interviews, and that says a lot because we've had some incredible ones. Uh, the author of 21 Questions for 21 Millionaires, which you can still find on Amazon. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's also currently working on a program where he's looking for 10 sales leaders who are men and 10 who are women. And if you're interested in that, Brandon, where would they uh, potentially reach out to you to, to inquire about that? Yeah, reach out to me directly, Brandon at brandonpipkin.com for email, B-R-A-N-D-O-N at B-R-A-N-D-O-N-P-I-P-K-I-N.com. Go to the website, LinkedIn, whatever makes it easy for you. LinkedIn is also a good place. Awesome. Sounds great. And I'd like to remind everyone that's listening and watching, uh, it helps our podcast when you rate us. So if you like this episode, please rate us, please listen to other episodes or watch other videos and tell your friends. Uh, PJ and I are very proud to be a top 3% in popularity global podcast. And we genuinely appreciate the many, many thousands of people who are choosing to spend some of their time with us uh, every single week. Brendan, thank you so much. Continued success to you. And it's been a huge privilege and a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap, folks. Like what you heard? Want to support the show? Please follow our page on LinkedIn and Facebook. Visit us on YouTube. And please like and rate us on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. You can also see exclusive content, subscribe for free to our weekly blog, support our sponsors, and soon buy our merchandise at www.bravingbusiness.com. Thanks for being a part of our production. And we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast. Mm -hmm.